Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from First Orlando. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at firstorlando.com. And if you're in the Orlando area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now, enjoy this podcast from First Orlando. One of the mysteries to me is how we can get through a season like this and it not do something to us. And I don't mean necessarily in a bad way. I mean, just shock us. And so we've been in a series called Unwrapping Christmas. Unwrapping Christmas is about pulling back the packaging, pulling back all the stuff, and really taking a look at what this is all about. In fact, the, John, the gospel we're using is the Gospel of John. You got a Bible, you go ahead and open it or turn it on, get it to John chapter 1. You see, I think for some, this has been a discovery of aspects of Christmas that maybe you never thought about. For others, it's been just a great reminder. You already knew he was the word and the light and the life, but I don't know, it just helps you to remember that, especially in these days. Well, today, maybe my favorite, he's the Lamb of God. And you learn that from the Gospel of John in the opening chapter. Not in the verses, what we call the prologue, but in the opening chapter. Have you ever noticed that God told us all about Jesus before he ever gave us Jesus? It's amazing to me, even in the Old Testament. It's like, hey, I'm going to tell you what's in that package. Because I don't want you to miss it. So my grandson asked Nana, my wife, he calls Rachel Nana. He said uh, he wanted to go to Bass Pro to buy some gifts for his family. Now he's four years old, okay? And so she goes to Bass Pro and and they come home and I, I came in later that afternoon and I saw this package to Papa from Sawyer. And I saw it and I said, oh my goodness, Sawyer, you got Papa something? Yeah, I said, oh, that's so nice. Thank you for doing that. He said, yeah, I got you some knives. (laughs) Now, everybody thinks, well, that's, oh, he told you what it was. Well, of course. Save me the suspense. (laughs) Think about it. It's exactly what God did. He told us what it was before we ever saw him. You see, he didn't become light when he was born. He didn't become the lamb when he was born. He didn't become the life when he was born, the word. He has always been. It just happens that at Christmas, we get to pull back the veil and see him in all of his glory. And so I kind of like the way we give gifts at our house. Tell me what you got there (laughs) so I can anticipate. So today, he's the lamb of God. And I want you to look, if you will, at a verse, chapter 1, verse 29. This is John the Baptist. This is one of the, actually the first time he actually declares and says something about him. I know there's been a conversation. But this is the first time there's been actually a statement that John makes about Jesus. And notice what he calls him. I'm in verse 29, John's Gospel, chapter 1. The next day. 
he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after, after me comes a man who's rank, who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. Behold the Lamb of God. So when you see this manger today, don't you think a lamb? I want you to see the lamb. Now we get a clue from Luke's gospel when he records the night that Jesus was born. Who is the first group on earth that God wanted to make sure they knew Jesus was born? Where did he send the angels? To governors? To presidents? Who was the first group to know? Shepherds. Could there be a connection? Lamb of God. First group to know, the shepherds. And he laid him in a manger. And I'm going to talk about that in just a moment. Probably wasn't a wooden one. It was probably concrete. Probably stone. It was what they used to protect special lamb. Swaddling cloth, we know that was a word used to describe what you wrap those special lambs in. And all of this points to the fact he is the Lamb of God. So when you see this manger, I want you to see him as the Lamb of God. Now, you don't probably say the way John says it. How many of you use the word behold in normal conversation? You're driving along, you go, behold, Chick-fil-A. <laughs> that's not my normal tone or my normal word, right? Behold. I tell Rachel, behold, the mall. I, this, we don't do that. But the word behold, John loves it. The gospel writer loves the word behold. He uses it often. It means an announcement. It needs, you, need, you need to hear this. He, it's, it's a way of getting your attention. Behold the Lamb of God. Did you know the phrase Lamb of God never occurs anywhere else in the New Testament? The phrase. The word lamb does. The word lamb, it, it actually occurs 39 times in the New Testament. 30 of them are in a book you could probably guess. Would there be any? Nine of them are in the Gospel of John, but the other 30 are in a single, single book. Anybody want to guess where? Oh, there's somebody got it. Revelation. And thank you for not saying revelations. Thank you. It's one revelation. Hey, 39 times lamb. So why would he call him Lamb of God? Because he was God's Lamb given to us. And there's a clue there. I have to be honest. I don't understand the imagery of Lamb. I didn't grow up around lambs. Did, did any of you grow up, around, grow up around sheep? Any of you grow up around lambs? Maybe there's some that came from somewhere where there's lambs and shepherds and all. I, I didn't have that experience. So when I see Lamb of God, I, I'm not, it doesn't, light, I know light. Life, I, I got a clue. But Lamb, that's the story I want to tell you this morning. He's your Lamb. He's my Lamb. And I promise you in just a few moments, we will stand and sing, Worthy is the Lamb. 
You don't have to grow up with sheep to know what it means that he's the lamb of the world. So let me take you on a little journey. In every culture known to man, literally anthropologists tell us in every culture, there is this need to find forgiveness for stuff we do, mistakes we made. And there's a need for access to whatever the God is that you worship. Let me put it in, in terms that maybe make sense. You just want to know there's something bigger than you. Every person on the earth, every person in history has had this desire. That's why there's so many forms of sacrifices all over the world. Why? Seeking somehow forgiveness. Man, I did. And, and so all of us understand it maybe in these terms. We understand what it means to be disciplined, right? When you got in trouble, when you did something wrong, and, and I don't know if in your house it was spankings. I, I, I was very familiar with my father's belt. Not because he wore it around his waist, but I wore it. I mean, he, he would grab his belt. I mean, I, I grew up in that. And, and so we're familiar with that. But let me tell you what I always knew about discipline. It was for a purpose. It wasn't just punishment. Please, never punish kids just for punishment. There's always something to be learned. Discipline, the word discipline is built on the word disciple, which means learn or a learner. So maybe... There is this idea that in sacrifices, every culture has been trying to learn something. There's something good that comes from that. And I personally think it was two things, forgiveness and access. Now, some worship really pagan, strange gods, I mean, all kinds. And I, I don't know what you happen to believe today that is that higher being, but I know there's a longing in every person to have access and to know them. And so for most cultures, it came out as a sacrifice. That's how you did it, okay? You sacrificed an animal, and that animal somehow became a scapegoat. It, it's, it took your punishment. So in other words, the punishment that should have been yours was placed on that animal, even though that animal was perfectly innocent and there was nothing the animal did, but the animal became the sacrifice. And it was a way of teaching man to try to learn from it the mistakes that they'd made. And they also believed that if you did that, it gave you access to whatever God you were sacrificing to. Listen, some of you in this room or on this stream, you actually grew up in a culture where child sacrifice would be practiced. That sounds like, oh my goodness, that doesn't happen today. Yes, it does. So why would anybody throw a child in the river or do something to another person? Because they're trying to get these two things, forgiveness. Their life is really going bad. It's going badly and they don't know what to do about it. And so they're trying to figure out, man, I must have really messed up. Do you realize that reincarnation is a form of punishment? I mean, when people talk about reincarnation in some of these Eastern religions, they're thinking, oh, wow, what a cool thing. You can come back as something. No, it's not a cool thing. And by the way, you can't come back as anything else. It's a total lie. But let me tell you where it came from. It came from the desire to atone for a life we messed up in. 
And so when you mess up, you try to fix it. And every culture has had ways of fixing that. And so sacrifice became a very natural part of it. Now, sometimes it was a grain offering. It was material things. It was, it was stuff. And so you had to offer it up. But here's the one thing we know that was consistent all the way through. It was up to you to make yourself right. It was up to you to open the door to access whatever. Let's take the Greeks and the Romans. They believed that the gods lived on Mount Olympus. And the supreme God was Zeus. I like the name, but he wasn't much of a God. You couldn't even get to him. You couldn't talk to him. Why? Because they were unapproachable. So what did the Greeks do? They came up with the weirdest things. There was one Greek religion that you were supposed to get drunk and somehow that was going to give you a connection. And let me just warn you, in case you think that might be a way to get kind of close to him, it doesn't help you at all. They thought it did. There were some that sex was it. I mean, immorality, doing crazy things would somehow get it. Why would they do those things? Two things, forgiveness and access. And the common thread and I have a list right now of 10 of the major religions of our world today. Every one of them describe what you have to do in order to make peace with that God. Well, here's the good news. Christianity doesn't follow that. It's not what you did to make peace. It's what he did to make peace with you. It's what he did to forgive you, to open up the doors of access, uh, of access. So imagine this. Let's say you've got a bank account, and every time you do something good, you put something in the bank. There are a lot of people who believe that you're going to go to heaven or hell based on your good works. And I always want to say, oh, okay, well then how many you got to do? Well, you got to do more than bad. Okay, so how do you weigh that? How do you measure that? Is there a Weight Watchers program that we can go to to know what the weight, how we're doing? No. I've even had the privilege of talking to an imam in a mosque. And I looked at him and said, so how much do you have to do to please Allah? And he said, we don't know. I said, so there's never a point where you can say, all right, I'm in. I did it. No, we live between. Are you ready? Hope and fear. Well, I'm going to tell you, I live in a better place. I live in a place that's called assurance because I know God did for me what I could never do for myself. I could never open the gates of heaven. I could never gain access. I couldn't forgive myself. So what I'm saying is all of a sudden you see something different with Christianity. you got a bank account. You're putting all kind of good stuff in there, and then you get a letter, insufficient funds. Y'all know what that means, right? Well, the Bible says that we all have insufficient funds. It's hard to say. We all have a need. And so what I want to tell you, the Christmas story tells me God moved first. He wasn't, he wasn't waiting on man to try to fix the dilemma. God moved first. So what do you mean he moved first? Well, he reached out and made a way for us. 
And he taught us through a simple picture. Now, I'm going to show you some glimpses of what I think God was doing as we read the history of man and as God's showing himself to man. These are glimpses of what I think are pointing to the day Jesus would once and for all open wide heaven to us and forgive our sin. So, let's go to the garden. Adam and Eve, they sinned. They didn't wear any clothes before they sinned. As soon as they sinned, they looked at one another and thought, hmm, something's different. But they felt shame. So what did they do? What did they do? Went to the mall, got some clothes. Nope, went to a fig tree, got some fig leaves. Why? To cover their shame. And there is a verse that gives this little glimpse of what's coming one day. And this is what it says in Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. He said, well, why would he use animal skins? Well, one, because they last. That fig leaf you're wearing, you might want to check it a week or two down the road, okay? Because it's not quite as covering as you think it is. Animal skins. And there are many who see in that that an animal was sacrificed in order to bring a covering to man. All right? Just a glimpse. Hold on to that. Now, we're in Genesis 22. Abraham is taking the promised child up on the mountain, Mount Moriah. He's up there. He's going to offer him up to God because that's what God had asked him. And so he's up there about to, he's got everything ready. He's got the altar built and he's got his son, Isaac. And Isaac, being perceptive, looks at his father and says, Dad, we got everything here, but where is the sacrifice? Where is the lamb? And Abraham looked at his son and said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. What Abraham was saying to him is God's going to take care of this. He's going to do, son, what we can't do. So let's go a little further in history. They're in Egypt. The Israelites have been captive for 400 years. All of a sudden, a deliverer shows up. His name is Moses. He said, it's time to go. And we're getting out of here. And God said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to send 10 plagues. And they were bad ones. Fruitcake was not one of them, but it should have been in that plague. There were 10 of them. The last one was the plague of the firstborn. And he told his people, okay, I'm going to bring a plague that is very destructive. And it'll be the firstborn in every family that, that is taken. But my people follow these instructions. And he gave them a meal, what they were supposed to eat, and every part of the meal was reminding them that they'd been in captivity, reminding them that God had delivered. I mean, all of it was this memorial meal. It's called Passover meal. And so he said, do all of that. And then the lamb or animal, it was not always a lamb in that day, especially. Take the blood before you eat that, take the blood, put it on the doorpost and over the door. So when the death angel moves through Egypt to take the firstborn in every family, when the death angel sees the blood on the door, he will pass over you. And that is where Passover, the most honored memorial in all of Scripture, comes from. Still to this day, Jesus was crucified at Passover. 
because Paul calls him our Passover lamb. Now watch this. They took blood, they put it over the door. It covered them. It protected them. And so along come the prophets. And the prophets say, hey, one day God's going to provide a lamb. And that lamb is going to go to its slaughters, and it's not going to say a word, and it's going to cover us. And by that blood, we are going to be healed. That's 700 years before Jesus shows up. There's a prophet Isaiah who's saying, he's coming. There's a lamb coming. And so all of this is in preparation. So as everything was pointing toward that day, then you come to the New Testament. And Jesus is announced to shepherds. God moved first. And then he shows us a way. And he provides for us. So all through the Old Testament, the sacrifices, they offered them. They understood it. And it was a way to help them understand God's forgiveness and, and all of that. So they had to do it every morning, every night. A lamb was sacrificed in the morning and at night and at every Passover. But here's the problem. It never lasted. The forgiveness and the peace, it was just a temporary thing. It was as if there was something real coming that would last forever. I mean, if I can use analogy from sports. I remember when we would have uh, the team I played for in high school. We were at the top of our division. We were the largest uh, school in the state that year. So we would be playing a school that had really some incredible players and some great plays. Well, somehow, scouting reports, you know the plays. We practiced their plays. We practiced a defense. But it was for practice. But on the night we played them, and all of a sudden they got in that formation and started to run that play, guess what we knew? We knew how to stop it. You see, God had been showing his people all along. I just want you to see how this works. Because one day, game time. One day, the real will happen. Because the sacrifices in the Old Testament only lasted for a little while. In fact, Hebrews tells us every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Isn't that interesting? They, did, they didn't accomplish the true taking away, but it was a lesson. It was helping the people understand. But when Christ had offered one time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So even there, we get this glimpse that what was about to happen when Jesus shows up would be the final sacrifice. It would accomplish what man in every culture and every age had been longing for, forgiveness and access. So God moved first, and God gave us a lamb. Now, they weren't really excited about that when he was called Lamb of God. You know what they wanted? They want a warrior. They want somebody to overthrow Rome. They thought Rome was their enemy. What they didn't know is Rome was not their enemy. Sin was their enemy. They had an enemy just like us that separates us from God. It's not a worldly power. God takes care of them. It's a power of darkness and sin that tries to take you in dominion and makes you a slave to it. And that's what he came to defeat and deliver us from. And so he gave us a lamb. And in the telling of the story, the angels appeared to whom? 
shepherds. Maybe because they would be the first to understand the significance. Maybe the shepherds would know, oh my goodness, this is that lamb. And then they were told, you're going to find him wrapped in swaddling cloth, lying in a manger. If you've ever seen a picture of the stone mangers that we think would have been where Jesus was placed, I think he probably was born in a cave. I mean, we think a barn, like, you know, we build barns. They didn't have that. But perhaps a cave. I think the place that he was born was a place called the Tower of the Flocks. This is a place that's been documented by studies, and it was a place where Levitical lambs were raised, meaning lambs for the sacrifice called Passover. They had to be perfect. They couldn't have a blemish. So what they do, a shepherd would take the swaddling cloth, he would wrap the lamb up tightly, and he would place them in that stone manger so they could not be injured. And the only time the Bible ever mentions the manger or swaddling cloth is when the angels told the shepherds. It never comes up again because it's our clue that what had happened that night is God had given us a lamb. And those shepherds knew exactly what swaddling cloth meant. And they knew what it meant, a manger. And they knew where to go because they knew where those lambs would be kept. And they go and they see this. I mean, literally in Micah, which is a prophet well before Jesus, 600 years, he said, it will come from the tower of the flock, the hill of the daughter of Zion, which is a reference to Bethlehem. And today, if you've ever been to the church of the Holy Nativity, when you go and get a chance to see where they believe Jesus was born, it's a cave. And let me tell you why I believe that may be exactly where he was born. What woman forgets where she has a baby? Any of y'all forgotten where you had your baby? No. No. Mary remembered. She knew exactly where it was. And believe me, she told everybody it was right there. It was right there. And through history, they began to honor that place. So, so here's the picture I want you to see. Sinners need a lamb. Everybody knew that. Sinners need a sacrifice. God's been t teaching us that from the beginning. So what did he give us at Christmas? The perfect sacrifice that would once and for all cover the sins of the world. And so when John saw him, he said, that's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And so God offered that. And I can tell you, as a sinner, I need that lamb. Because I long, just like everybody else, for access. I long for that forgiveness. Why? Because I've been separated by God. Separated from him because of sin. I, I don't know if any of you grew up in the church like I did. I was born in a preacher's family. So I was in church all my time, but I had a longing in my heart that I was not right. I mean, I just, there were things in my life I knew that were wrong, and I was always wanting forgiveness, but I didn't know where to go. I came to church services. Listen, if church services were the answer, he would have put a church service in the manger. It's not a church service. You can sit in this service, you can watch, and you can tune in every time we are streaming. And you're still going to wake up and say, I just need forgiveness. Because I knew there were things that weren't right in my life. And I had this longing that I could, I could know him. I mean, I, I believed I was created by God, and, and that was my belief. 
but I, I, I didn't really know him. And it wasn't, wasn't like I had peace. And so there was a longing in me. And so now when I look at a manger, I know he came as my lamb. I know he came to do for me what I could never do for myself. So even though I don't use the word behold, when I see a manger, I will say with John, behold the Lamb of God that takes David's sin away. And I want you to stare at that manger for a moment. And I want you to see that God gave you what you needed most, a Savior, a Lamb, who would take all the mess of your life, everything, and he would not only take it away, as John said, and you would have forgiveness, but he would open access because of him. Even when he died, when Jesus died, the moment this lamb died, the veil was torn in the temple, and now the Holy of Holies was open to anybody and everybody as if God was saying, okay, it's open. It's time to come. I have made a way for you. Worthy is the Lamb. I will say that and sing that the rest of my days because you know what? That's what happens in the book. As you follow the story, you leave the Gospels and all of a sudden you find yourself in Revelation written toward the end of the first century. And you know what? The word, the name Lamb is used 30 times. But it's never referring to a weak animal. It's never referring to this little cuddly creature. It's referring to a victorious lamb. You see, the lamb won. The lamb overcame. And that's why every glimpse is this glimpse of the lamb. And you hear it over and over. Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb. And there will be worship around the lamb. Why? Because the lamb came and did what we could have never done. Some of you know my, the story of my cousin. I had a cousin that was a, a contractor in Jackson, Mississippi. He owned a company that had a contract with the city of Jackson. They did a lot of utility work for the city. And there is a mall there that my cousin's company was out trying to deal with, I think it was some wastewater issues. And they were down below the street. And my cousin just happened to show up just to check on the job. And while he was standing there looking down in the manhole, all of a sudden they realized from the screaming down below that one of the workers had been overcome by the methane gas and he was out. Well, my cousin being the owner of the company did exactly what I know many of you in this room would do. He went down, went down that ladder, got down to this man and realized he had to get him out of there. And so he put him on his shoulders. And he started up that ladder to try to get this man to save his life. And when he got to the top at street level or at the parking lot level, he handed this guy to them and then his heart exploded. He had a heart attack. So my cousin died. At the funeral, that worker that he saved was there. How many, how many of you think that worker sat in the back and just, yeah, I knew him. Steve was his name. I knew Steve. Yeah, he was a nice guy. No. That's not what you do for somebody who saved your life. My cousin, when he was lying there in state in that casket, 
this worker came in and laid his body over the casket and all he could say was, this man died for me. This man died for me. And he kept screaming it out, this man died for me. That's what you do when you know the story. So today, I want to lay on that, on that manger. I just want to drape my body on, on this manger and say, this lamb came for me. This lamb died for me. And I believe there's some in this room that have never put your faith and trust in that lamb. You've tried church. You've tried being good. You've done all the things the world religions try to do, and you're not there, and you never will be. Jesus is still the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus. So if you're on this stream and you say, I'm ready, I, I will trust that God did for me what I never could. He offered a lamb to take my sin. He took the sin of the world away. That includes you. That includes me. If you're in this room and you've never put your faith and trust, listen, this could be the greatest Christmas ever. Because we're not worshiping a baby. We're worshiping the lamb who is worthy of praise and honor and glory. Because this lamb took our sin away. We want you to reach out to us. You can text CONNECT 40777. You can do that in here as well. We got people in the back who will be glad to have a conversation with you. I just want you to know the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. If it makes you feel better, you got to get up and run around this building twice and you'll be saved. You know why people want to do that? Because they want to do it themselves. You can't do it yourself. That's why there's a Christmas. He did it for you. And I want us just to bow together and say, thank you, Jesus. Jesus, thank you. We believe and we are looking to the Lamb. We lay our lives down in your hands. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. When I read this Revelation passage, now I understand it. Because what would I do if I showed up at a funeral and the man had given his life to save me? I would have done what that guy did. And I would be just as it will be one day in history as we see Get to look into heaven, what it's going to be like. And this is what John saw. I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, voices of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, every creature on earth, under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Let's stand and let's worship the lamb. Thanks again for listening to the First Orlando podcast. For more information like our service times, location, and other contact information, be sure to visit us online at firstorlando.com. Have a great week.